Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuckadelics? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. I'm not at home. I'm in Chicago. I'm in Chicago. I got a show. Well, I had a show. I'm taping this a little early. I just got here. But I would have had a show last night if everything went as planned. I'm, I'm taping this a couple days before uh, this episode airs. And this is a good episode. I've got uh, Shooter Jennings on, son of Waylon Jennings, country music and uh, alt-rock and uh, just rock and experimental music guy, Shooter Jennings. Never met him. Nice talking to him. Rob Riggle is also uh, stopping by for a second to talk about his new thing. But, uh, but I'm excited to be in Chicago. I like Chicago. I, I've always liked Chicago. And... I'm here to shoot uh, the final season of Easy, Joe Swanberg's uh, Netflix series. I'm, uh, I'm reprising, is that the word, my character, uh, Jacob Malko, the graphic novelist. And uh, this is it, I think. This is the last season, and it's going to be exciting. I'm going to be working with Jane Addams again and Melanie Linsky, who I love. I've never worked with her. I haven't seen her in years, it feels like. I don't think I have, not since I talked to her on this show, so... That's why I'm in Chicago. I'm also doing a show at the Thalia uh, Hall, but that will have all already have happened yesterday. And let's just hear, maybe, hey, it went great. I'm, I'm going to try that. Why not say that ahead of time? Did I jinx it? No, I don't think so. I only think I jinx it if I get paid before the show. But uh, I am in Chicago. Rob Riggle. I've not talked to Rob Riggle in a while, and uh, it was uh, always good. I like seeing Rob. He's a good guy, solid guy. And he's solid in the real sense. You know, he's an ex-Marine. He's a solid dude. And uh, he's got a, a new uh, show. It's available on Sony Crackle. It's called Rob Riggle's Ski Master Academy. Premieres this Thursday, August 23rd. You can stream it for free on Sony Crackle. So, uh, so this is uh, me talking to Rob back at the garage Nice chat. Nice chat, me and Mr. Rig. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Pet. 
page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Got a pool? Uh, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, we didn't for a long time. For the first eight years, we didn't. You built it? Um, you put it in? We got a new house. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Do you, so you're using it now, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. How old are the kids? 10 and 14. Oh, so they like it. They yeah, bring prime friends time. over. Everybody. It's prime time. Everyone's hanging out at your house. Which is how I like it, yeah. by, believe it or not. <laughs> I actually like it that You know way. where they are. I kind of do. and it's, I must, It must be a control thing, but right. I, I do like having everybody assemble. Right, yeah. Just have your friends come over here. Exactly. Yeah. Bring, and, you want to have a girl party? Bring your girls over. <laughs> and I try to, we tried to make the house accommodating so that it would be a good place to gather. Are they, uh, oh, are they boys or girls? Uh, one, the oldest is a girl, oh. the youngest is a boy. So, uh, so you encourage that? You're yeah. the cool folks. It's fun to hang out. You yeah, got good we're, we're cool enough. We're not the we're not the bring your coolers over and party yeah. at our house. Parents. You smoke weed. Yeah. Smoke weed. No, no, no. We're not those folks. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, we we try to make it a entertaining house. Those days are not that we'll ever entertain yeah. the underage partying, but yeah. uh, those days are coming soon enough. Uh, oh, what? Where they they're not underage anymore? And well, yeah. they're they're four. They're, she's fourteen. He's ten. Yeah. And you know, the next uh, next ten years, uh, you're going to see some transitioning going on. Yeah. You ready? Are you ready? <laughs> no. Who's no? Nobody's ready. <laughs> I don't. know. I just try to remember what I did. Yeah. And well, that and can't I, be helpful when you have a daughter. Oh, it's the worst. <laughs> It's the worst. Oh, that's the worst. Because I know, I know, they're just boys. You know, they're walking hormones, and yeah. it's not their fault. It's yeah. just it's it's the nature. It's the nature of the beast, and they. I know what they're like, and I know they're knuckleheads. And is she and, like the knuckleheads? No, she's actually really smart and yeah. very creative. Um, she's so far advanced beyond what I was at fourteen. Yeah, you just gotta you gotta you know keep a, a sort of a, a kind eye that a knucklehead doesn't ruin her for life. Yeah, <laughs> and it can happen. I know, man. Yeah, these, it's, it's so scary for me. I don't even have kids. All, <laughs> all it takes is one shitty boyfriend. Uh huh. To fuck your everything you put into it up. Yeah, the good thing is we made. She's resilient, so even <laughs> even if some turd comes along, uh, she's going to weather that storm yeah. and be fine. And you have a good enough relationship where she would talk to oh, you. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And God bless that. And my wife, she, yeah, she'll talk because you know, obviously, it may be weird to talk to dad about something. Sure, sure, but yeah. She's good enough with mom that she can right. lock in. There's no pushback. She yeah. doesn't. You shouldn't hate you guys. Did not yet? She's not going to show you. Yeah, no. Thank God. There's none of that. We, yeah, it's been pretty, yet. pretty healthy and wholesome. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, but yeah, no. I, I've seen the, I've seen the families that have that, and that's, that, that's a whole nother bag. So, what have you been doing, man? I mean, I know you got this ski master academy. Yeah, yeah. But like, what have you been doing since? Like, when, when was the last time I saw you? Like five years ago? <laughs> I think it was. It was probably four years ago, four or five years ago. But you've been doing movies and stuff. What have you I been have doing? been. I've been. Uh, I'm a uh, always working. That's the thing. You I, are because the only thing is, is uh, and you know this as well as I do. You eat what you kill. Yeah. So if you're not hustling yeah. all the time, 
you're going to be yeah. hurting. If you're so, not making yourself available in an it. aggressive way. Yeah, and you got I got like five right. irons in the fire at all times. Right. Calling your agent going, I'm here. Yeah. What's up? Yeah. Where are we at? Yeah, you remember that thing we talked about? <laughs> and then you're, you're, It's a constant struggle to get your reps on the phone. Oh, I know, yeah, yeah. And then you get a return call yeah. at the worst possible fucking time. Yeah, yeah. Or at midnight. And you stop everything because yeah. you're a desperate you know, fuck. That's you know, it. Like, you, you can only, uh, everything falls apart for your image of who you are to, <laughs> to the public, to yourself, when you're waiting to talk to a rep and then the phone rings, oh, God, I got to yeah. take this. I got to take this. It's you, a funeral. You, you know, yeah. and you jump out of whatever you're yeah, doing. Yeah. And then when you answer it, you yeah. try to be nonchalant yeah, and cool. Yeah, like, like hey, hey, Tom, what's going on, man? <laughs> Like I've been, uh, it's kind of an annoyance you called, but what's up? Yeah, yeah, what's up? Hold on a second. I'll be right there. Yeah, I'll it's, be right, it's the agent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, sorry, go ahead, man. Yeah, yeah. Right, and yeah. then they, they're like, "What do you want, Riggle?" Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Hey, do you remember that thing we talked about? I was, just, I was just thinking maybe if it was possible we could have lunch and then I could maybe explain myself and why this is such a great idea." And like, okay, yeah. Riggle, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Don't, yeah. don't panic yeah, yeah, too much. Yeah. Just relax. Try to relax, yeah. kid. <laughs> Fuck. Then you. you hang up. You go back to what you're doing. Ah, you know nothing. Yeah, There's nothing. Yet. Piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so no, I, uh, I, I, I've been working, uh, trying to, I've spent like four and a half months down in Atlanta last year just doing uh-huh. films. That's uh, where everything is now. I'm telling you, that's, yeah, that was or it, Vancouver. Was that's it down the, the, was it the summer? Uh, it was, part of it was in the summer, Ooh. part of it was in the spring. Oh, summer in Atlanta. Oh, rough. Yeah. It's humid here now. When did that fucking happen? It feels like New Jersey. I don't there. dig it either because one of the advantages of California is Dry. No, no humidity. What, what's going on? Yeah, it's horse shit. And I don't know where you it's feel coming it? from. Yeah, it's coming in from fucking Jersey. I don't know. From Jersey. It's somewhere. It's <laughs> real terrible. Somebody's <laughs> pumping in this humidity that yeah. ain't yeah. part of our program out here. No, no. The program seems to be changing rapidly. <clears throat> 75, <laughs> sunny, crystal clear, yeah. and crisp. Yeah. You know, and then yeah. at night it drops down to a beautiful 55. That's nice. So you got a nice sweatshirt or whatever, yeah, yeah. and you're golden. And it's yeah. the most beautiful weather in the world. Yeah, here. Here, and Last now year. it's Two all of a sudden ago. it's fucking Orlando. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. It's just a wet sauna. I don't know what happened. I don't dig it. I don't dig it at all. Yeah. So it was the, really one of the only good things about living out here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I was like, this state's so fucking expensive and the taxes. Yeah. And, that. No and I'm like, it's a weather tax. Yeah. It's worth it because of the weather tax. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, no, no. I don't know, dude. So. Oh, Vancouver too. You were up there doing work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did uh, did a couple films up there as well, and uh, Twelve Strong, which was a, a war movie with uh, like Chris Hemsworth and Michael Shannon. Oh yeah. Um, and, and you were one of the guys with the I helmets. Was, I was one what, of the which war, Afghanistan. <laughs> oh, so and yeah. actually, funny story. I actually played in the movie Lieutenant Colonel Max Bowers, who was in charge of the Third Battalion, Fifth Special Forces Group yeah. in Mazar-e Sharif in northern Afghanistan, right. in October of two thousand one. As a young captain myself in the Marines, I reported to Lieutenant Colonel Max Bowers in November of 2001 in Mazari Sharif and worked on his staff, and then I play him in the movie. Wow. So I'm playing my old boss in the movie. So you kind of had a you know, line in. Oh, well, I knew the, I knew the whole thing. I knew uh-huh. everything about the, their program, uh-huh. the mission that they did, even because I had a security clearance, so I knew what their mission was. This was just declassified a couple years back. Wow. So, um, that must have been cool. Yeah, so it was fun to see the story finally get to, you know. how they do with it? Come, they did a good job. Oh, good. I think they did a good job. Yeah. And then... Uh, doing, now, when you're on a set like that, yeah. do, do you uh, do you stop the action and go like, yeah, I don't think it's you guys are quite doing this. <laughs> uh, I was sometimes, there. I was there. Sometimes, uh, if they... if And it just comes down to like the nomenclature of the language. Right. You know, yeah. they say... I, Whatever I can't even think of an example right. right now, but if they get that wrong, I say actually I think it would be said this way in Marine speak, in Marine speak, or you <laughs> yeah, know military yeah, yeah. speak because it's yeah. all acronyms anyway. But right. um, 
and they were they were open to it but for the most part they they had their shit squared away oh that's they cool man that's cool and then i did a drama uh-huh. which a heavy drama where i play a, a father of a wait a, was the war movie a comedy well it was a i call that a straight role more okay. than a drama okay role. all right um but uh the drama was like you know i mean we're talking about some really emoting here some real oh. some deep subjects like my daughter in the movie was dying of oh my rare God. disease and so i i never get those opportunities and and that was a really cool how'd you do with it think i did okay Just cry people yeah i got ah. I, I got tore up uh but uh people liked it good it went well uh, that's great yeah and then uh, and now i have a movie coming out uh kevin hart and tiffany haddish called uh night school oh yeah coming out in september oh good and then uh, and then this thing uh robert will ski master academy uh is an idea i've had forever and i i finally got <laughs> got off my lazy ass and yeah. put the pitch together yeah and got somebody to buy off on it. Sony Crackle, uh-huh. God bless them. Uh huh. You know they but were. So this was like originally years ago, like a Comedy Central or Funnier Die pitch or what? Pretty. It was a no. You know what it was? It actually started uh, people. You know this fucking town. Hey, what are you working on? What are you working on, Riggle? What are you working yeah, on these days? Right. What are you working on? Yeah. And I, I, I would say I finally got to the point where I was tired of explaining myself, so I would just say I'm thinking about opening a jet ski academy. You know, and that would be my answer. Yeah, uh, and I would a what academy? A jet ski. Academy. Oh, jet ski, jet ski. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And I say I'm gonna think. I've been giving a lot of thought to open a jet ski academy, and I would say with a straight face and a very sincere delivery. And most of the comedians I knew, you know, knew I was yeah. doing, doing a bit and fucking around. Sure. But a lot of folks didn't fucking know. They didn't know. Yeah. And so they'd be like, oh, well, that's that's amazing. That's, uh, oh, so. when did you get, you know, and I, I wouldn't give it up. I would just say, oh, well. With that fucking horrible, sad voice. Like, <laughs> oh, good for you. So you're <laughs> yeah. out, huh? You're, yeah. You quit. <laughs> yeah, good the, for you. Yeah, and then yeah. you could see in their mind, they were like, yeah, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Another one bites but, the but, dust. But it's just that dumb sort of like, you know, all of a sudden you're a victim of some kind. Oh, well, that's great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jet skis. No, it's fun. Yeah. Fun. Any life decision you make that doesn't fit their model. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Oh. Good for you. You're okay, though, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, I know that. I know that fucking judgment. I it's know it. It's the worst, man. It's um, the worst. So anyway, that's how it started. And yeah. I, it started that way. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, well, that would be a funny world, actually. A jet ski academy. If I owned a jet ski academy, I'd be like this B-list celebrity who fucking, just like Oprah has her school in Africa and yeah. LeBron has his school in Cleveland, Yeah, why not me have my academy? Right, right. And so I created- For those, for those uh, less fortunate white people. Is that what you- Well, I mean, look, <laughs> teaching personal watercraft safety to troubled okay. urban youth. All right. All I right. see the sense in that. Uh, oh, troubled <laughs> urban youth. That's what, that's where, that's, that's what you're using? Sure, why not? Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I put together a pitch with a couple of comedy buddies and- and Sony Crackle bought into it. What is we, it like Caddyshack? It's um Do you know what I mean? Is it like there's just some you, know, you got a few guys working at the place. Yeah. One of them's a stoner, <laughs> one of them's like a troublemaker. We have a we have uh it, it's set up like an academy. So you have students uh-huh. and you have uh instructors uh-huh. uh, and then you have me, uh who who is like the figurehead who runs it, but I'm kind of there, kind of not. I'm very a, self-serving. As an academy, though, it's a it's a jet skiing academy. Yes. All right. So yeah. Okay. So it's obnoxious to begin with. It's right. absurd. It's, it's not. It's like it's like uh, fun school. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. And the, and you know, there's all kinds of mischief that yeah. the cadets get into. Do and, they live at the school? Uh huh. Oh, so it's like camp. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Like yeah. two week program or a boarding or? school maybe. Oh really? A boarding school. Do you have regular school too? Uh, no, God no. Oh, so there's it's just, no time for that. So it's just. But how it's long are they? Personal the water I'm sorry if I'm asking no. too many detailed questions. Well, I want to know if this is realistic <laughs> or not, Rob. It's super realistic. <laughs> I mean, it's a whole nother level. <laughs> yeah. You're not. We didn't miss a single thing. <laughs> yeah. We didn't miss a single thing. So, but no, seriously. So, how long do they stay there? Um, 
You know, a, it doesn't matter. We'll say a school year. Sure, okay. A school year. So they don't go to regular school and they no. just learn how to do jet skis That's right. for the year. That's right. Because yeah. we actually, at the end of eight episodes, they did graduate from okay. the academy. Okay. So maybe eight episodes, that's how yeah. long they go to school there. Yeah, well, that's good. That's about right. Yeah. That sounds about right. That's about right. Who are the other goofballs on this thing? Uh, Paul Shear. Oh, good, uh, yeah. Is one of my old-time buddies yeah. from UCB. Sure. Um, uh, Eliza Coop. Uh-huh. Um, very funny lady. Yeah. Uh, Billy Merritt. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Well, so I did UCB guys. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, and then you know I reached out to uh, Cheech Marin. Yeah, uh, he came out and played with us. Did he? Uh, yeah, Dermot Mulroney, uh, Jamie Lynn Sigler, David Arquette. Wow. Um, all came in as guest stars. Uh, sure. Chris McDonald, uh-huh. you may know as Shooter McGavin in Happy Gilmore. Okay. If you saw that, sure. if you didn't see that, you probably saw Grease too. He was one of the T-Birds in sure. Greece too. I, uh, yeah, I, you know, I might have missed both of those. I might have. <laughs> I don't know how. Yeah, I know. But okay. It's crazy. I, I don't know how I miss most things either, but I do. I do miss most do things. Do you find yourself, in this town especially, I, I'm constantly being told, all right, I know there's a lot out there, but you've got to watch this. Yeah, sure. And you've got to watch this. Yeah. And now yeah. my list of what I've got sure. to watch is fucking ridiculous yeah who the fuck are these people telling you that or, or there's also people where that you know when it's like hey everybody knows this thing how do you not know it i'm like i guess i'm not in the right loop <laughs> you like you know like like, see, like I, I don't pay that much attention to twitter anymore but like all of a sudden everybody knows the thing and i'm like how did i miss it yeah how did i miss it i i get news on my phone yes how did it, uh, here uh, and also i'm starting to feel my age because oh, yeah. i did an improv show the other night and we <laughs> dropped winded we dropped well that <laughs> that but we all i dropped a reference of michael dukakis oh boy and i literally saw everybody look at each other like i don't know <laughs> michael dukakis wow People, and i realized oh shit uh-huh there most of this audience uh-huh. was born 89 90 wow how old are you now I'm 48. Yeah, I'm 54. I'm yeah. going to be 55 next month. And they didn't know who Dukakis was. Yeah, dude, yeah. I, I'm doing a, like a, a, I have a Palm Pilot reference in one of my jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and the part, half of the joke is me explaining what it is. To, to That's good stuff though. That's really good. That's awesome. Did I hear you say you were working on a new set? Uh, I shouldn't uh, give yeah. anything away. I don't want to give anything. Oh no, away. no, no! I'm just like I'm doing some dates, you know, trying to put together an hour. Oh, that's uh, awesome. I've, I've got it. I've got a lot of it. You know, it seems like that's something we need to do every year. Someone made this secret rule where you got to <sighs> turn over an hour every year. But I usually, I, that's, that. I think that's Louis C.K. Isn't it? Kinda, but like there were guys who did it before. He he just made a spectacle he was churning, of it. He was churning them out. Yeah, but a lot of those guys, like Carlin would do one every year. I mean, it, you know, it's not that unusual when it's your bread and butter yeah, uh, to a comic. If you know, if you were one of the HBO guys, you know, who got specials, you know, yeah, a year and a half, a year. Yeah, I mean, I do it anyways. It turns out, really, yeah. Yeah. but uh, but now you think you're more conscious of it, you yeah. know. Uh, and then there's that, like, once you dump the hour, there's that moment where you're like, I got nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Where does it come from? That's a lonely place. It is, but, like, it just, it comes out of nowhere. It comes out of thin air for me. I, you know, it's like, I don't know, things are starting to come together somehow. Uh-huh. You know, if I keep getting on stage. That's very true. And it's a scary process, but once you do it a couple times... You just trust in the process somehow. Yeah, you just, like, well, I riff out stuff. Like, you're an improviser. I do that with stand-up. So I'll go to a low-key place, Uh you know, with my, you know, outline of ideas. Right. And just riff them out and see what sticks. And then try to remember, like, I always think, like, I'll listen to it and I'll make notes. I never do. It's like, it's going to stick here, like, you know, that (laughs) thing. I I lose, like, Especially when you get on stage, it flies out of your head. Yeah, but, like, also, like, uh, you know, 
what are you really going to work on? Uh-huh. But then you like you should go listen to the tapes because they're like, oh, there was that one beat. What yes. was it? And I'm like, I don't even. I didn't. I didn't but, embrace uh, taping yeah. myself for a long time. Right. And then I did once. I finally remembered to do it. Basically, yeah. it was just I forgot. I was yeah. Forget. And I remembered one show. I think it was at the University of Missouri. But I took my phone. Yeah. And I put it on the sure bench yeah. right of the stool and right. recorded the show. Yeah. So fucking glad I did that because I went back and I listened. Yeah. And I finally kind of heard my own show and I he- heard the responses. Yeah. And I, I f- it really helped dial in some things. Tighten and, it up. Yeah. What do you And do I lost you... a lot of superfluous shit because there's oh, always. Yeah. yeah. You want to fill time. Yeah. Of really course. <laughs> of course. Let me over explain this for 10 minutes. Oh, my God. And, uh, and when you say when you are discovering stuff, I remember uh, John Oliver was the yeah. guy who kind of got me to do stand up. And he would start, I would just go tell a story. Yeah. A, five, a three minute story, a five minute story. And I knew where there would be some punches. Yeah. But the rest was kind of, let's see what we can do in the storytelling process. Yeah. As far as. Sure. Yeah. And that's where I would wing it and I would get laughs where there weren't any. And I say, okay, I got to remember that. Got to remember that. Right. Gotta remember exactly. That. Exactly. And then you just tell the story a hundred times and yeah. eventually you got three tight, funny minutes. Sure. Embellish it. You Embell- get more minutes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Go off on thoughts within the story. Exactly. So do you still do stand up a lot? No. Oh. No. I have not done it. And the reason is because my set was done. It had, yeah. it, it had a two year, three year run. Yeah. Uh, how about two? Three year run. <laughs> so, do you see that as a show? Because I mean, you don't really come from stand up. So, when you put no. together a show, you know, do you are you in character? You go as you? No, you... I, when I'm doing stand up, yeah. I do. Uh, it's me. Yeah. Um, and uh, if I'm doing improv, it's improv. You know, yeah, you, yeah. you play what you got to play. Right, right, right. Um, but uh, yeah, I, the, the I was I was not I wouldn't even play in th- I, I wasn't playing theaters. I was playing clubs and. I was on the road a lot. I yeah. had two young kids. Yeah. The return on investment was yeah. questionable. Yeah. And the time life, investment, you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Time, well, I was gone so much and the right. money was okay, but Missing it wasn't. the kids growing up kind all, of thing. There was a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So wife it, doesn't like you anymore. A lot of that. A lot of that. And I still <laughs> liked her a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know? You're out there in Siberia. <laughs> Fuck yeah. And she's just like, why isn't he helping me? Right, right. And somehow I'm, I'm bringing home the money, but I'm still the bad guy. Yeah, of course. That's a whole other yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Your, ch- your children don't know your name. <laughs> You want to do your act for them? Yeah. Yeah, maybe they'll enjoy that. Yeah. Oh shit. So I stopped I stopped doing it, but I, yeah. I haven't I don't think I've ever I don't think I I'm going to quit it. I right. just need to get to a stage where I can get back into it. Sure. And now that I live out here, I got to be honest, fucking New York is the place to build a set. Yeah. Because you can hit five mics easy. Yeah, you can do Almost that here. A, it's just a chore. It's a chore. I for me it's a fucking chore. Living out a thousand miles. Right. And then it's a half hour between gigs and maybe maybe you get two or three mics a night two. What, to do like to do stand up to do to get up and get you know work out yeah. like 10 15 minutes or whatever yeah i mean I, and you also got to be in you know it's better to do it at a club like when i'm trying to really build an hour i used to go to the steve allen theater and just like do a, a month of tuesdays yeah and just you know five dollar ticket and just riff you know for yeah. an hour or two to see what happens now i've been going to the ice house but the ice house is is actually a real club. The Pasadena? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so like, you know, I want to riff and do shit, but you're like, this is a real comedy club. So that yeah. muscle goes in like, I gotta give him a good show. You that's know? right, yeah. Yeah, but that's a hot room. Yeah? Yeah. Good. Good, good, good. go there. Yeah, no, I uh, I have buddies that go there. Sarah Tiana and Roy Albany, some yeah. of these guys, they hit that place a lot. 
Yeah, it's a good workout room. Yeah. It's, it's almost like cheating. It's such a good room. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. So how do people watch this? Is it easy to watch? It's so easy. It's uh, it's on Sony Crackle, which is free. Okay. Which is great. Because, you know, some of these pay in these digital yeah. sites, the uh, Netflix and Hulu, I love them, but you got to pay. Yeah. Uh, this Sony Crackle yeah. is free. It's and so how you, do you get there? You uh, go to, uh, you can Google it. You can get the app on your phone. Sony Crackle. Sony Crackle. That was a, right, okay. Uh, yeah, and then uh, it it's comes out August 23rd. Um, all the episodes are, will be out, um, and uh, it's it's a really funny show with a, an amazing cast. It's ridiculous comedy. Uh, there's no message or agenda. It's just straight up fucking balls out comedy. Good. So you did eight. Yeah, I did eight. And now, and now what are you doing? Uh, well, I just shot a pilot for Fox. Oh, good. Literally last night. Oh really? Yeah, we How'd taped, it go? taped it last night. It went great. Who's in it? Is it all you? Uh, no, it's a three-hander. It's uh, uh, Caitlin Olson from uh-huh. uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah, uh, and um, the Mick, and also Leah Remney. Yeah, and myself. I was funny ladies. Yeah, yeah it's it's a it's a great. You're uh, funny lady. It's a great. I, uh, thank you very much. <laughs> um, I get that a lot, especially yeah. with this beard. <laughs> yeah. Um, to get some laughs, three camera thing. Or yeah, what? was it multi cam? No shit. Yeah, and uh, we got we got some laughs, and it was great having the audience. So a live audience always makes things better. Sure. And uh, it was cool. So we taped it, literally taped it last night, and who knows? We'll, we'll we have to test it and edit it for and FX or for Fox. For, for Fox. It. Exciting, man. Thanks, bud. I'm glad you're working. You seem well. Yeah, I'm 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 very impressed with your. Can I mention your house? Sure. Your house is gorgeous. Oh, thanks, buddy. Yeah, I really love it. Yeah, and I'm proud of you. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah. I'm going to try to keep it. Uh, you know, I'm going to try not to tell people where it is. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you. But <laughs> it's a gorgeous house. Man. Thank you very much. I appreciate yeah. that. I'm, I'm, um, I I got lucky. Thanks. You man. did well. Thank you. <laughs> Rob Riggle. Isn't that fun? Did I just say that? Wasn't that fun? I never say that. I never say, we're going to have fun. That sounds like fun. Ooh, fun. Wasn't that fun? Man, something's changing. Something is happening in ironic counterbalance to the world with my well-being and sense of self. I'm going to let it happen. I'm going to keep letting it happen. So... I almost uh, had Shooter Jennings on a while back. He's we got common friends in in Jeff uh, Tate, but it never happened. Now I'll try to catch up, man. This new record, Shooter's new record. I got to be honest with you, it's a straight up uh, country record. It's called Shooter. It's available now wherever you get music. And uh, I, uh, I, you know, I don't. You know, his dad is Waylon Jennings, and I don't, I, many of you know that I grew up in New Mexico, but, you know, I was surrounded by, uh, by country music to a certain degree. I didn't engage in it much, but I am old enough to remember what was unleashed on the country after the Urban Cowboy movie with John Travolta and Deborah Winger and John Glenn, I believe, who uh, mostly what I remember of that movie is John Glenn taking the last shot of some uh, mezcal tequila and uh, playing with the caterpillar in between his teeth and a mechanical bull and line dancing well after that happened i don't even know the year on that but i must have been in junior high or high school but uh all of a sudden there were large western dance halls opening up at least where i lived in new mexico and there was a, a very large contingent of people tucking their shirts in wearing cowboy hats and cowboy boots and uh, jigging in a line at these large dance halls. That was what clubbing looked like 
in the Southwest at a certain period in, in history. But uh, the cowboy culture exists where I grew up, and the State Fair was always, they always had Waylon and Willie and Johnny and Roy and Buck and whoever, Merle and George and Dolly, Loretta. They were always there every year at the rodeo at the State Fair. And uh, I grew up sort of not with much cowboy in me, per se, and not with it in the house, but I did have boots. I had boots, and at some point I had a hat. I had a straw Stetson hat. Wore some black cowboy boots when I was a grown man during that time where you wore black cowboy boots. All right, so Shooter. Yeah, man. Uh, it was good talking to Shooter. It's good talking to him, to, uh, to him about his dad. It was good talking to him about his music. It was good talking to him about his new record. Yeah. I mean, and I like the record. The record's fucking straight up country. And he's got a very eclectic catalog, this Shooter Jennings character. And uh, and I, as I told you, I got a little nostalgic. Albuquerque, New Mexico, Cowboy Hats, Caravan Dance Club, uh, where my dad used to go uh, during his secret life and dance and uh, Western style. And just the basic, you know, pickups. That, that element... That was there, was sort of inf- infused into the culture. I had a, you know, I had a Western belt. Still do. That Western belt buckle. Still do. Don't wear it much. Got some new cowboy boots. Haven't worn them. I got them because I, was, I wore them in a movie. But maybe I'll wear them. It's in there. That's all I'm saying. So I just, I brought that a little bit. I think I did. Anyway, so this is me talking to Shooter Jennings. His new record, Shooter, is available now wherever you get your music. Nice chat with him. Yeah, I remember that Tate and I tried to hook me and you up, Jeff Tate. Yeah, I love Jeff. Man. And how you go back with him or like? I met him through, oh, well, I met Doug Benson first. And yeah. And I went on Doug's uh, thing, getting, getting Doug with high thing. And yeah. Then, and then he had, uh, Doug started following me around touring and, and doing those Doug Love Movies things. And, and he invited me to one of those. That's where I met Jeff. He started following you on purpose? Yeah. They kind of, they booked a couple of those along my route. And kind of, so there was like a couple times that they were in the same cities uh-huh. as me. And it was like. Well, that's nice to have a little comedian following. Yeah, it was fun, man. I, I was out with uh, Dean Del Rey last night. Oh, I did his thing one I time. know, yeah. Love he him. told me, yeah, I talked to him for like nine hours. Dean talks to everybody for nine hours. <laughs> and then he trims it down. Yeah, but he was talking about um, Stargun. Oh, boy. My, yeah. My old man. <laughs> well, D- Dean was going on about Stargun because yeah, he was out here during that time. What was that, the late 80s or something? No, God. You no, kidding me? Mid-90s? Uh, uh, it was 2000, 2000. Oh, you're younger than us. I forgot. I was born 79. So. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're born, I'm born 63. I think Dino is too. Yeah. So it was the mid-90s, but like- I listened to some of it this morning, oh and what do, what do you mean? It's great shit. Like, <laughs> what do you, I get? I don't know. It's cringeworthy to me sometimes because I, you know, I mean, I was twenty years, twenty one years old, writing all this shit, and like couldn't, yeah, you know, didn't know what to well, what to write or to do. <laughs> right, but it's sort of interesting that you, you know, it was it was just solid, you know, hard rock music, right on, right on. and it was Thank like you, you know, it was L A hard rock music right. with that, you know, you, you know, the, the lyrics are sort of like, I'm on, you know, I'm in L A basically right <laughs> yeah dude I, I you it's so it's so exactly i can see how that would might it's be very embarrassing cringe. I mean, it's lyrically it's so embarrassing for me. i mean there's there's some things you know but i'm like screaming and yes and all but i mean i i literally could not have been more redneck off the turnip truck type of situation and moving to la i mean yeah. i lived i mean i'm not like a 
redneck like right. a hunter or anything like that but i lived in nashville and i'm like ooh, la like i want to go there that's where all the rock stars and all my sure. favorite dudes went you know and i visited as a kid and but but you must add some sense i mean i i can't imagine like first of all like the idea you know because i've talked to a few cats who uh you know you know your dad is waylon jennings right <laughs> so like I, it takes some sort of insanity or balls to be like, well, I'm Waylon Jennings, kid. I'm going to sing, too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, because that could go either way. Oh, yeah, it could go. A lot of potential for failure. I mean, dude, like for me, I was so like an MTV kid and yeah. a rock kid and shit living in Nashville. Me and my dad were very close. He was yeah. a great dad. It wasn't one of those situations where like the famous dad never see him or something. We were very close. And he wasn't some weird, abusive, drugged right. out freak in the house. Not at <laughs> all, man. It was like he was a great, you know. And I, I he had me late too, so I probably missed some of the craziness that like my older brothers and sisters oh, yeah? did. You know, what's but, the age difference? Uh my youngest is fifteen years older than me. Really? Yeah, my youngest one. That's my mom's daughter from her previous marriage to Dwayne Eddy. So it's like my mom had one and my dad had five. Well, your mom, Jesse Coulter, right? That's right. She, and yeah. she's got she's a, a significant country yeah. star. They were on the Outlaws thing together. And she they, married. They, she was married to Dwayne Eddy? Dwayne Eddy before, yeah. So you got a half-brother who's Dwayne Eddy's kid? Half-sister. Half-sister who's yeah. Dwayne Eddy's kid? Yeah. Rebel Rouser? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I used to go over to his house bow, 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 bow. <laughs> as a kid. Now, I love that thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I love Dwayne Eddy. He's fucking awesome. But like, um, you know, but I was there. I mean, man, you got to understand, I'm like, uh, I'm still just a big kid. And like when I was little, one of the most profound influences on me the mean, yeah. was the Muppet movie. Yeah. Because like, here's this, all this Hollywood business. You yeah. Know? yeah. And, and then there was like... Uh, my dad did that movie, Follow That Bird, and it was like Big Bird. So, like as a kid, I was getting ingrained to <laughs> this like this Hollywood thing, and then yeah. I, and then I discovered like Guns and Roses, and then that led to you know, the, the back history of Hollywood and the Doors and all this stuff, and then and then I was into Nine Inch Nails and fucking Marilyn Manson and and all this shit, and and I was like, that's where I'm going. Like there was either New York or L.A. Like Nashville, in my opinion, it blew. The music sucked. Like there were a couple maybe okay rock bands that were burgeoning around there, like Jason the Scorchers and shit. But like, oh yeah. But otherwise, it was really shitty. And I I hated the Waylon's kid thing. I did not want to play country at the time. I was like, I'm out of here. Yeah. And I moved here. And man, I didn't have any foresight to that. But I got here and spent you know a good ten years where I was there was no Waylon talk at all. Like I was I could not get into the clubs or whatever the party places it, just like everybody else could not get into them I no was, one cared about uh, Waylon right there's only like one or two people <laughs> start play on you in a little while it's like wait a minute you guys should know my dad no I loved it like oh, to yeah. me I just you're free like, and I was a kid and I was I was 20 years 21 years old like spending my drinking years away from my parents and doing being nuts Yeah, because I know? have to assume that you know your entire life in Nashville, you know, you got everybody saying, "There's Wayland's kid," right, right, <laughs> and, and yeah, you know, totally. like you grew up with that. But like, but in terms of like how you grew up, so your dad was married before your mom, right, and had a, like another couple kids. She's got a kid. She had five, he had five from several other marriages, and like he had his first. Yeah, I mean, he, my mom was the, his fourth marriage, and my mom had one previous marriage. So by the time that we. <laughs> But you know it's weird because I'm growing up and all and all of those kids were around. Like they, where they, they were, they had gotten you know. Uh, of course, I missed out probably their their teenage years where things were more confusing. Of course, but but, I, but like they were all together. They had kids. Like my nephew is. He, I have two nephews that are a year younger than me. Uh-huh. Uh huh. One of them's a rapper named Struggle, and the other one's a singer named Way. And they but he, 
I grew up with them like same age brothers, but they're so, like my brother's kids. Oh, I get it. Oh, right, I get <laughs> it. Sister's so kids, yeah. So, the, so there are other music. Did any of the uh, the siblings go into music? Um, my sister plays piano and sings, yeah. and she does her thing. She kind of does more spiritual stuff and kind of along the lines Christian-y? of what my mom's into. Yeah, um, your mom's become a. Was it always? She, a- she, she well, around the time that I was born, she became pretty. But her her parents, like her mom, was a was a. Uh, preacher. Oh, and yeah. They grew up in like a kind of revivalist kind of church in Mesa where they were like, they had like a tent and they, would, uh-huh. you know, and she would play in the band and oh, her yeah. whole family grew up. <laughs> that's where she learned. That. Yeah, that's where she learned. Yeah, and the, then the tent racket. Right. And then she kind of came back <laughs> yeah. around, came back around to it later in life, you know, but it's like, so my, my sister's kind of into that. And my, my brothers have dabbled in the business a little bit, but like my nephews, like those two are singer. I, almost everyone that has been a spawn of those, of my brothers and sisters have all gone into music. Uh-huh. Like, I think they've kind of seen the, the, uh, the, you know, the whole thing and wanted to jump in, but it's, it's funny. It's cool. I mean, it's like our family's been so, uh, in music has been around it that it's almost yeah. like, even if they weren't in music, they knew a lot about music. Well, you know, Waylon, like, uh, like I grew up in New Mexico and I remember and my, you know, my, my dad's wife literally is, uh, you know, she's such a Willie Nelson head that it's like, it's, it's freakish. Like she had a quilt made of uh, just concert t-shirts <laughs> of, of basically <laughs> Willie Nelson. And, and I love it. That sounds like my, my wife's mom, my mo- <laughs> wife's mom, Kathy is like, she has like a, yeah. like mi- Misty in our house. We have like a velvet Willie that used yeah. to hang over one of the beds in their house. <laughs> grew up in, you know? <laughs> so what I'm trying to picture though, is like, cause Nashville was certainly a different town when you were a young guy. Yeah. Right. Young kid. Totally like it really, different. it kind of turned in the last decade, really. Last into, five years. To really? Be yeah, it feels like it's, I mean, it's 100 people moving there a day. I mean, really? It's got, 100? yeah, crazy. It, I think that number's starting to drop off, but over the last two years, it was like 100 people a day. And it's kind of crazy to watch sheep move, though, because it's like, I remember moving here where it was like, you don't go to Silver Lake. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like, people started coming in. And then, like, I remember when Austin was starting to burgeon, like, be pretty right. cool about like yeah. 10 years ago, people yeah. started moving there. And, yeah. then, and then all of a sudden, like, Nashville happens in like Brooklyn and and Silver Lake kind of start emptying out and they all start moving to Nashville. Yeah, because there's this whole artisanal roots music sort of, you know, back to the earth, grow a beard shit going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got to get to that. The lumberjack. Yeah, the deep American jams. music. Well, there's some cats like, you know, and then like the sort of, uh, the you know, there was this, We I talk about this more specifically in a minute, but there, it seemed like there was a, you know, this original wave you know, whatever happens in mainstream country, you know, post your dad, uh, you, you know, has always had some pushback from other country artists who are trying to you know, make it more organic again. As it got a sort of further away yeah. from the roots of country, there was that first, you know, there. well, there was obviously Graham Parsons and that crew, right? right? And Emily Lou Harris. But then, you know, Steve Earle and, and those guys. Yep. And then it seems like you and Sturgill and... Uh, uh, um, Margot. Oh, Margot Price. Margot Price. Uh, Price. Yeah, I just met her the other day for the first time. <laughs> she, I think she's great. She's great. So you're growing up in this. So because I know you did this, uh, this little sort of memorial album for George Jones, who I love. I love yeah. George Jones. Yeah. And too. just the idea that you're a little kid and you're in Nashville and like you know who are the people that are coming over the house? Who are like George came over a lot. I mean, <clears throat> I'll tell you, my dad's closest friends. Yeah. What I would what I would kind of say were, um. Carl Smith, who's a great old country singer, one of my dad's 
kind of icons that when he was a kid, he, one of his heroes, and they became friends. He would uh-huh. come over a lot. Tony Joe White, uh, I don't know if you ever got into him. He's unbelievable. He wrote Rainy Night in Georgia. Oh and, yeah, and all that. Like he he's a polk salad Annie. Anyway, oh wow, he's, yeah. Uh, Tony Joe White was one of the greatest. He used to come around a lot. George would come around a lot. You know. Uh, before and after he got sober, um, you know, I don't remember, to be honest with you, any, any real stories of him not being sober, but I, my mom always tells stories about when I was little and he he was, he was trying to get off the booze and shit, Yeah, Uh, but they would come around, you know, Willie and stuff would occasionally come over, but he lived in Texas. Yeah. So those cats were kind of living. Christopherson. Yeah. He'd kind of be around. Christopherson's the one that I'm the closest with since post my dad dying oh like, yeah i see him even now i see him quite a bit my been able is to he in nashville him. no he lives in la between la and hawaii he oh really yeah kind of lives in hawaii but how's he doing how's his head he's good man i mean yeah. he's, he's gone through some crazy shit that they thought was like alzheimer's at, at first what? and then it was lyme disease like they figured out he had some you know so he's been going through a lot of a lot of stuff but yeah he, but he's like awesome he's still there everything's there it's just like he has moments where he like trips over facts and, and history and stuff. who doesn't right but like my kids have gotten to be around him and stuff which has meant a lot to me and them and so it's like yeah he's a good i mean he called me the first couple father's days after my dad died which i never would have expected to get a oh man and that's sweet very sweet stuff so so when you're coming up though when do you decide like what's that moment because i've talked to who have i talked to i've talked to jacob dylan i've oh, talked yeah. to you know uh duncan jones who's david bowie's kid yeah and, you know obviously it's a different arena duncan man i like i, I love moon yeah, yeah it's great yeah. it's great i, I liked his uh, new one too uh, i haven't seen it yet but... uh and y- you know there there's sort of the weight of it but there is a, i think with with country there's more i think there's a, more of a tradition of family Totally, I mean, because Julian Lennon had it a lot harder than I think anybody sure. in country ever had. You know, right? It's like, and then like you got the whole Carter Cash, you know, empire, or there must have been a dozen of them. And the Williams, yeah, <laughs> there must have been a dozen. And of there's, them. A, <laughs> I mean, to different degrees of fame, but yeah. And then Hank one, two, and three. Hank three's a little, you know, punk rock, right? Yeah, he like pushes the envelope. That guy, yeah, and metal and everything. I mean, dude, he he did something so profound by putting out like Straight to Hell, like it it created an entire genre like there is still to this day metal metal country metal country bluegrass guys that are doing like you know where it's kind of like stringed instruments but like these metal kind of lyrics and arrangements and and screams so he kind of like so his old man is hank too hank jr yeah yeah, that guy's something. Yeah, he is. A boy, he's a good artist, though. He's like, if you, it's like somewhere along the li- somewhere along the way towards the end. I don't, I don't know what Kool Aid got drank, but there was these twelve yeah. records in a row where he was the fucking best. Right, really? Yeah. You, yeah. So you you look to that stuff a lot, you know, to his earlier stuff. Yeah, yeah I mean, no, yeah, just no, songwriting sure. wise and singing wise, he can play a, too, right? Oh man, he's a piano, guitar, and everything. And how's uh like how's Hank three like you know like also the great thing about generational uh, uh, artists is that uh, you can see the the sickness right (laughs) (laughs) how's 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 everybody holding up over in Hank Williams land (laughs) oh man (laughs) or you how do you how do you hold up I mean I don't know what I mean there's this sort of uh, this uh, archetype 
right. of like the outlaw country dude. And and I think like to a certain degree when I was younger, you know, I had my heroes. They were never sober. They were they were always fucking disasters. Right. <laughs> right. And you know, the party you don't know whether it's genetic or you're just sort of like, Well, this is what I wanna do. You know, I wanna be like that. And then at some point if you live long enough, you're like, I'm tired, man. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> that's so true, man. I mean <laughs> I mean, dude, you know, for me, it's weird. It's like my dad never drank, uh-huh. but I drank all the time. Yeah. So it was like we had we had certain. He, he didn't, didn't do nothing. He no, he did. He did. He did like pills back in the sixties and seventies. And then when cocaine came out, that was his. He was a preferred pharmaceutical uh, guy. Prefer- powders yeah, and powders and pills. Ups, uh, uppers was his thing. Got to come know? down. <laughs> I'm more of a weed and, and booze guy. Uh-huh. I mean, but uh, but you know, like I guess there is somewhat of an archetype, but I think that. It's an archetype that, like, it, it goes across all artistic things. I mean, you know, like, my favorite writer writers are, like, Hunter S. Thompson and Charles Bukowski and people sure. that are, like, we're fucking... Yeah, of course. Excess monsters, you know, and it's, like, to yeah. me, I just, like, uh, I think there's just something there. And, look, man, there's a lot of great sober artists out there. I mean, but, sure. but the ones that definitely, like, ask the hard questions a lot of time tend to be the ones who are... I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I, I think that, you know, people who push themselves uh, will get somewhere or, or not. Right, you know? right. <laughs> like, right. You know, for all the ones you're saying the, that that did get somewhere, there's, you know, just literally, you know, dozens, hundreds. Who did of, not. Yeah, right, that's just, right. You know, their pen just, like, went yeah. off the page and that was that. But uh, uh, you are right. But you know, so when did you decide? When did you start to learn? You know how to to, to do music? Like, uh, hey man, it was that was really natural for me. It was like <clears throat> when I was little, I was really into drums immediately. Like I, I really liked it, and I was in my dad's drummer, Richie Albright, would kind of give me lessons. And, and you're on the road with them when you're a little kid. I, yeah, like before school started, I yeah. would travel with them. Uh, all the time. And, and then uh, after, you know, like once school started, I would just go in the summers, essentially. Yeah. But I kind of fell in love with music very early. And then I think my, I don't remember why, I think my parents wanted me to take some kind of like extracurricular kind of class. And I took piano at seven and uh-huh. I did two years of it. And I hated it because of the the recital and the type of crap they'd make you learn. It was like not the stuff that I wanted to, that I, but it, it was good for me. It was some kind of structure on how to mess with the piano and, and coming from like yeah. drums and messing around drums. It's a percussive instrument. It was a lot of fun. So I, I instantly kind of started fooling around with making my own shit. And, and then, you know, I loved music. I would buy records when I first got a CD player. You know, Danzig One was one of the first records I bought. Use Your Illusion One and Two. All these records that were like <laughs> yeah, so big for me. And yeah. then, like, uh, then it kind of took a turn where I think my biggest, my biggest thing that kept me from starting a band yeah. was that I really wasn't very cool with many people in school and I didn't have friends that were like guitar players or like other musicians right. I kind of was yeah. locked in my own little world and when I heard the um, Nine Inch Nails yeah. I was like oh shit I was like and I was a computer nerd growing up like right. I'm definitely not the archetype for a country outlaw country like I don't hunt yeah I you know, I program computer games. Hey, you but. drink and smoke weed and play guitar well, that, and wear boots. You're all set. There you go. There you go. That's right. I do do those things. They all have their reasons. Yeah. Uh, no, but but like once I heard that, 
I kind of was one guy can make all this. I was like, oh, I can do that. I can play piano. I can play drums. I, I kind of like it gave me a place to aim. So Reznor was like, was, you know, you were like, I can do this. And did you do that early on? Did yes, you? yeah, very much so. Like I was, I'm not not saying it was I was good at it like that, but I was that was where I started. And I would be like programming drums and and music and making tracks and coming up with you know shitty lyrics and working. And the the reason it evolved into what became Stargun was because through through that I you know whether or not this is the cool way to discover bowie the way i discovered bowie was through nine inch nails well it's generational you know however you get there yeah and i became obsessed with him and i got really into like i got really into glam rock uh, that that era like in you know t-rex and slade and all that and then i got into like the beatles and pink floyd and psychedelics and all that and so by the time that i was moving to la I had like gotten so far into the glam rock thing and, I, and we got, I, I was starting to get in, like it was just starting to morph into like this other more modern version of it, which, which is what is kind of cringy to me because where we were right before we hit that version of Stargun was very, very seventies, uh-huh. you know? And once we got here, it kind of became a, a mishmash of glam and like, I don't know, and some riff, riff rock and whatever. It was kind of like just finding our way, you know. But well, I think um, it seems to me like when I look at you know and listen to you, you know, most of the the records that that you've done is that you know you're you're you are you do find your way. You know, it seems like you know you have this an interesting pattern of like you know after Stargun, you'll 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 do a country record pretty much. You know, with, right. there are other elements where you're listening and you're like, well, that doesn't okay. So you know, but it's good. Right. But then and then all of a sudden you'll just be like way out there. <laughs> but 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 it seems like every other record or so you go back to country and then right. you're like, nah, I'm bored. I'm gonna, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna gonna do this other thing. Right. I'm not sure what it is, but it's gonna you know make sure. That that everyone's going to go like, what the fuck happened? Yeah, I know. Some guy, I did an interview for our Pappy and Harriet show that we have coming up, and this guy goes, so you've confused country fans and you've confused your fans many times, so what are you going to do next? You know, I'm like, well, thank you. But no, but I mean, at some point for me, it, it became, there was a, you know, I'm, there was a couple moments like where I'm sure it was like a what the fuck. But then after a while of me like what the fucking with left turns, I think people started to kind of expect the next what the fuck moment right. to happen. Well, Not, my, my but, question is, so you like, you know, because you, know, you can sort of hear Reznor through, you know, a lot of the records. I think sure. like, th- you know, two or three or four of the records that you've sure. done, like, you know, elements. Like I can see where you sourced, you know, kind of, I'm just saying. It's the still tone. there. Oh, yeah, for well, sure. Well, I mean, on that one, you, that weird one, that, that sort of like um, that bu- summoning uh phoenixon or phoenixon oh phoenixon that Phoenixon. Yeah, see, that is that what that actually is is that was recorded before stargun for all that was m- me programming shit at my house and my dad singing on it like the week oh, so that's, that that's like from like before. 97 that's from 97 so that's actually when he was alive. Yeah. Here I thought you were like going through shit trying to process because yeah. of the when it came out. So that was actually during that time when, so your dad was sort of being supportive? Very supportive. He was really into it. Like anything I, I would play him shit I was listening to and he'd, I remember I, I played him the Downward Spiral and I was like, this record I just listened shit. to that two days ago. Oh, it's such a good record. Isn't and it? Oh man, it's it's still to this day one in my top probably five records of all time, just how profoundly influential it was, but at the same time just what an experience and I wish he would still do that he doesn't do that like he doesn't he do did the, the one after it the was fa- good, fragile good. is great yeah, but, but yeah it was double length and all that's my wife's favorite but Downward Spiral was always mine because it was like all these found sounds and samples and, oh, and dark too it's just dark like you know just 
just like oh, not I, a lot of drum machines. It felt more like like the sample drums than he'd be right, using them right, and everything. Right. I thought that was such a and cool. And the melodies were great and the songs were great. So yeah. you're sitting there with old Waylon, yeah, playing saying, that, playing, playing. And then he does an interview and he says in the interview because he was uh, he was a little <laughs> concerned lyrically with it because I'm 15 and I'm like playing him like you know God like, is dead and, God God is, you know, and all that and, and he and he's like. But he he's cool because he ain't gonna he ain't gonna fuck with that. He yeah. knows like he knows what it's like to be a kid and be into what you're into. But then he goes and does an interview and he says that Trent Reznor is a musical genius but a lyrical idiot. And I was like, what have you done? Like, I mean, this is my guy, and you just <laughs> Waylon Jennings just went out there and said this shit, you know? And I was yeah. like, oh uh, no, you're ruined. <laughs> I know, I know. But he sat with you and did the, and worked on that record because it's an odd thing. Yeah. I couldn't like I didn't know anything that you're telling me. I just looked at the dates things were released but that was really your first efforts yes ever and was, your dad was like there for you yes he it's, was he's like let's do a record together and, and that was like, the one you chose we made up a band together and it was like i made all the music and he played guitar and sang a lot and i sang some of it and, and he just let you control it yeah clearly yeah and yeah. so do you regret that you didn't have an opportunity to do a straight up country record with your old man i mean it would have been cool it would have been cool you know but i don't regret it because it was such a like uh, uh innocently like childlike collaboration like and it he was, did it like he was, like he, he just, was so into it and he <laughs> just wanted because he probably it's out of his wheelhouse but he was probably excited that you were excited about something yes about right. music and it did, we both you know he would play me records like dire straits and i'd play him like fucking tool and shit you know he he turned I mean, you on to Dire Straits. He liked yeah, that. He liked he his always guitar loved Dire Straits. You yeah. covered a uh, Walk of Life. We yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, my dad did several songs by them, and uh, over the years, and he used to he used to love them. I remember when uh, On Every Street came out, he was like playing that one a lot, and that was around the time I was like playing him like fucking White Zombie, Astro Creep, two thousand or something, <laughs> yeah, Metallica or something. You know, well, it's like, but in well, Johnny Cash did the great cover of Hurt. Hurt. Yeah. Did, wait, I mean, that must have blown you away. Did, how close were you with him at all? Yeah, I was. I was, man. He was actually my godfather. Uh, but I was got. I got to be. A, I got to have some several, uh, kind of profound, long conversations with him, where it was just me and him. Oh yeah, which are pretty cool. What do you lay on you? Interesting stuff. I remember a conversation where he, where, and I don't. I don't think he understood me quite at this point. It, we had, we, and I'm not don't mean that critically. He was always very kind, but remember we had this long conversation, and he was asking about about computers, and I, uh -huh. and I at the time was very into him as I still am today, yeah. and the very early burgeoning internet, and I was like, uh, it was even before that. It was when I modem stuff I was doing, it. but he he was like, you know, that that's escapism. Like sometimes you have to get out, you have to face reality and i get the message that he was saying yeah. i was like man not really this is where i live and the rest <laughs> of the world's gonna live here too in 30 years you know uh but no i mean i got what he i got what he meant though he had like several several I think kind he's of, turning out to be right i think he's turning out to be i think he saw facebook somewhere in there yeah, uh, he had a vision he had a vision soon of everyone will think they're connected but they'll really be isolated yeah, <laughs> yeah. That is he knew it. he knew yeah man but like uh you know just just conversations like that and he always was kind of like a wealth of no, no musical conversations yeah. really it was always kind of like yeah life lessons philosophical yeah and uh so your dad stayed close to him too through yeah, yeah yeah they would they were really funny man because they would have moments where they didn't talk for periods of time because they were like very i very similar they had like they both picked cotton. They both grew up listening to the Grand Old Opry. They both had this very similar raising. And I think that's why when they met, they felt 
a certain kinship that was different than Willie's because like Willie and my dad had very very different backgrounds. Yeah, but and and Willie was like a jazz dude and yeah, and, it's, and it like a, like a, a big songwriter for others. Yeah, yeah. Did your and dad do much of that? Not really. He didn't even really write a, a shitload of songs. Towards right. the end of his life, he did, but it would be like record to record. There'd be one or two, three songs maybe that he wrote. Those early records is like I could see how there was sort of like him and Johnny Cash would sort of understand each other. There, oh, there yeah, was a, for sure. You know, they it felt like you know these guys were you know sort of powerful they lived kind of together grunt. so it was like they, they, did? Had, they had a period of time in, in nashville where they both had apartments that were like they, they shared an apartment and then my dad's band had an apartment and uh -huh. i think some of johnny's guys had an apartment all in this one complex oh wow and, and they would like hide their like they would hide their drug use from each other so it'd be <laughs> it's like funny because they were both pill guys yeah, yeah they, it's, it's good that they did because someone would have been pissed you off you know they <laughs> we have a we're working on a Waylon movie and there's a script that we have done and, yeah. and this guy has a great scene in it where they're like they both go into the shitter and they both go in the bathroom and 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 pop their pills and flush the toilet at the same time like not to let the other person know but they're both doing the same thing you know it'd be kind of Oh, oh, so they go way back. So they would be, they would have spats occasionally. Yeah, they would occasionally have spats. It would usually be because like either one person like it would be over random stuff. Like yeah. like like Johnny would be like he's sober, but then he got on some pain pills one time, and my dad's mad because he's not really sober. But he's like, "But I'm in pain," and like they'd have this kind of not talk for two months or whatever, <laughs> and then they you know then they make up and it so would, they're like a married couple, totally, uh, right? totally like the odd couple. That's, yeah. that's hilarious. So okay, so you 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 know you make this you do that that thing with your dad, but when you come out here, you got your heroes in place. I just find it interesting that you know because of the music that you liked and because you know you're a musician that you were sort of able at the beginning to to do what you wanted to do and and do it well, but then at some point you after Stargun, I mean, you snap back. And that that first country records or put the O back in country is a country record, right? right. I mean, like full on, right? Yeah, right, right. It had some some psychedelic hard rock moments in it, but we but definitely I definitely like got to a place where like the Stargun thing lasted too long. I love those guys and everything, but yeah. like, I moved here with one band, it which which was very much the more. 70s glam thing right and like a couple members we kind of like splintered and another guy came in and we were kind of scrambling to keep the band alive and we kept alive for a couple more yeah. years and we got like a little following in town and stuff but we thought we were going to have a moment with a record label Tom Morello produced our, like an EP that was going to come out and it was like we had all this stuff kind of going on but I could already tell and I didn't have the experience yet to know that it was just it was kind of an empty well that I was going to with this it just wasn't the right right thing for me to be excited about yeah. and so when when we broke up the band it was kind of like a lot of factors resulted in the breakup of the band and then i uh i kind of just went back my dad had just died i'd been listening to a lot of stuff that he's influenced by i'd i'd really took a huge dive in, into hank jr's uh catalog because uh -huh. i had liked certain records but i hadn't really explored his catalog and i just was like there was so much of that that i related to but i didn't want to I didn't want to just go do a straight country record. Like to me, musically, country music sucked. So yeah. like, to me, it was like, like, why can't a country record sound sound cool? 
and this like has been the problem for for people of your ilk for years. Yeah, right, right. Of <laughs> your ilk, yeah, man. So yeah. it's like the original goal I'm country, was that. but I don't like this new country. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What I mean, even even like not being able to like kind of pull in elements of like hard rock and modern rock and and, and you know I'm not I don't mean like fucking System of a Down, but you know like no, you do like, that on all the records. There's there's definitely under there. There's always something. Huh? It just why not? You know, and that's that's the music that I listen to. So to me, it would, it would be a disservice to like, just de- deny it. Like it's weird. You, you re- you run into a lot of guys like, I've read interviews with like Kenny Chesney, people I don't even really yeah. know their music, but they'll they'll say like, man, when I was little, all I did was listen to, you know, Bob Seger. And you're like, well, why doesn't your record sound like fucking Bob Seger then? Like, shouldn't you, the well, shit they did, you listen they, but to? But didn't but, they integrate that eventually? I mean, didn't sort of like, it, it seemed like there was a period there where there was a shift and there was some like, you know, a little bit of hip hop coming in. There was a little bit, yeah. you know, and Garth Brooks sort of amped shit up a bit, you know, and he was taking certain chances, but. For but, sure. I mean, the, every generation has had that. I mean, I, I guess my dad kind of, you know, brought the Buddy Holly side of stuff into it, and Hank Jr. Wasn't he a cricket? Brothers, yeah, yeah. I just remembered that he was, he was, he was, he was supposed to be on that plane, you know, which is just crazy. He actually, How did I forget that? So he played guitar with Buddy, bass, 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 right. and he had just never even played bass. Buddy had let the crickets go. Really, is what happened. It's yeah, like they were. He was going to go. He had. I think he'd intended to, to move to New York and then he was going to London right. to record. And yeah. he, so he put together a new band and my dad was in that and they did that winter dance hall tour. And then, you know, they were going to go then go. And so that was the plane was too full. It was it was Buddy Holly's plane chartered for him and his band. Yeah, and it was like freezing outside and then and they were going to fly ahead just to do laundry because they didn't have anywhere to do it. Yeah. And uh, the bus heating had broken down. So uh, the Big Bopper asked my dad if he could have his seat on the plane, if my dad would ride the bus. My dad was like 19. He's like, fine, no problem. And then uh, Richie Valens flipped a coin with Tommy Alsup for his his position on the plane. Oh, my God. And got God. on the plane. That's the story, huh? That's the story. And so then as, as they were going, my dad... Uh, Buddy says, I hope your old bus breaks down and you freeze to death. My dad goes, I hope your plane crashes. No. He did. And he's, he, he validates that story. Yes. He, oh, yeah. He, it haunted him did for, it? for a very long time. Oh. You know, it, until a guy basically told him, can you bring him back? And he said, no. And he goes, then you couldn't have killed him. You know what I mean? But right. it's like- uh, Oh, that's interesting. But, I've never heard that before. That's he, kind of powerful. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty wild. It, it, it really devastated him. At first, he like gave up on music and he kind of lost all hope and it- the way it all kind of came back around and it took him a while just to get get the feeling back because this, this buddy holly was his pro like he was his protege like he was taking him to new york for the first time and he's like showing him how to play bass and teaching him all about music and my dad's just like holy shit i found this dude who's like everything to me and yeah then it's like bam gone you know so young right there's only what there's probably only about 40 songs right that buddy holly song. yeah maybe so maybe many, maybe that much. Less. it's so many great like i don't you know it's sort of incomprehensible it is and some of that buddy holly stuff apparently he was just he was such a maverick with that like the way that his approach to everything was i mean he was he was a straight hillbilly like you know as a guy and here here out of nowhere my dad's sitting there working on a radio station and kind of the way he met him and uh he's just all of a sudden he's this dude he's got these glasses and he's got these moves and it's like pop but it's like rock and like he one thing he told my dad he's like don't tell anybody your country or that you're rock just tell him you're pop because you got room to wiggle then you can go either way with it, you know, and he had all, right. he had all these like kind of Buddy Hollyisms that yeah, he would yeah. tell my dad and 
and like uh, you know, always leave them wanting wanting more. Don't right. play too long. Like right. you know, all this all this kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. But I mean, for someone to be that profound and different at that time it's without crazy. any kind of media to to craft your thing after, I mean, it's like literally everyone was pretty isolated. Yeah, they had like the radio. And, and there's a lot of variety to the songs too, man. My yeah. dad, my dad loved them. So like, you know, we got piped in that collection. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid in the A track and the car, was just like all Buddy Holly music. And there so was just, cool, man. It's such good. The guitar parts and stuff, even crazy, to this day, man. like all the Sonny Curtis, you're like, what are you doing? Yeah, how's <laughs> he doing so, that? Yeah, it's so crazy. For even that, the you know. simple rhythms are, are tricky. Yeah. I, yeah. I forgot. I, I knew that your dad was part. I'm glad we, we, we that came up. So. But so okay, so you're you're frustrated with where country's at. You tap into Hank Jr. and you do that first record and you mix it up a little bit. Yeah. And how does that change your life? It man, you know, I did uh, previous to it coming out, it really was. I mean, we were off the radar except for in this town. And it's like in L.A. Yeah. So like, and, I knew, and at that time, it's you and who's who are the other bands? It was I'd put together a band. Oh, the, oh, you mean uh, yeah? Who, who's around, around with Stargun? Oh, like well. During that time, I mean, there were there were bands like I can barely even remember half of them. But I mean, yeah. like we rehearsed in that there was a rehearsal hall on Hollywood and Vine, yeah, where like it was every like Lincoln Park had just broken out of that right. rehearsal hall, and yeah. like Maroon Five and these kind of bands like that. Okay, and, yeah. And so at the was... time, like Audio Slave, Tom was a, had been an early on supporter of the band, and it, he, that was blowing up a lot of big bands. But there weren't like a, there was no scene of like anymore. Bands, it was already really. done. No, then there was a kind of country thing that was happening. They had the King King. They had this thing called Westbound Down they would do. And there was like Icy Hawks in L.A. And there was like this these down at the Molly Malone's. They had these Grand Parson nights. So there was like kind of a lot of that stuff happening in L.A. Was, okay, yeah. Which was kind of cool. And I had just gone through at the same time like a uh, Graham phase. I was like very, in, gotten, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I had not done that discovery yet. So I'd gone through all his records. And, when you were out and, here before, yeah. before Hank Jr. Before, before the Hank Jr. period. Yeah. I'd and, gone through that. And what would you just say about like Graham, like, uh, you know, having, you know, having the heads you have and coming for you come from what, you know, what made him so unique? Man, he was so unique because he was literally a, like a rich kid from Florida who was like, I want to do country and came to LA for whatever reason and connected with the birds and all that. Like his story is so unique because it did, it bypassed Nashville altogether. It had so many elements uh, that, that later in, you know, the dead and like, of course, like Chris Hillman and the birds and the stones, like the all Eagles. the tie-ins of country yeah. into rock and roll. Yeah. The Eagles. Yeah. Like, well, there was a dude before Graham named Steve Young that came here and he was kind of the first, he came from Alabama. He wrote like Seven Bridges Road that the Eagles did. He wrote Lonesome on Your Mean that my dad did. He did Montgomery in the Rain that Hank Jr. did. These great songs. Um, he came here first before Graham and he kind of was the first dude who started like seeding Los Angeles and Hollywood with a lot of this, uh, because he, he's from Montgomery. So it was a lot of this Hank Williams seeds yeah, and things yeah. and was, he was kind of rolling around I think with I have his record. He's great. It's a great record. He's great. He has got tons of great records that are out there, and I got to be friends with him before he died, and, and he sent me his entire catalog. Sometime I got to, I have like a 
the hard drive and if you're if you're into them i'll oh, give you yeah, the whole, the yeah, whole thing dump it on there it's pretty cool but so that's so okay so then graham was kind of like the next guy so, right so it was like but steve kind of sowed some seeds that, that kind of led to like like a lot of the the uh glenn campbell and the wrecking crew shit that was happening with like tanya tucker and all that uh, like it all yeah. kind of inner in you know of course merle and and buck and all that kind of coming down but but graham was like really unique because he was a rock dude who was obsessed with country and he was at the end of the day in a weird way he probably would be flipping in his grave but he was still kind of like this rock and roll dude to the end right who just sang country all the time yeah you know and that was like such a um but the music you know like you listen to the music like this is what i i never can understand because even your new record shooter with you know with dave cobb is that, that yep. you know because he does uh, some sturgill stuff like he's a guy and he did the first five of mine too yeah, four, but, yeah. It, but he's clearly evolved yes as a producer into like you, there, there's some sort of reverence for that classic country production, right? Yes, for that sure. goes way back to like you know, '60s and '70s, right? Yes, for sure. That's the best era, right? Like, of that and rock in a lot of ways. Sure. Us, so, but the thing that always strikes me is that you know when you listen to these guys that were sort of pivotal in in the new country back then, like Graham and, and the Birds and stuff, it's like. It just sounds like country to me. So I can't, like the nuance, you know, the, the songwriting I get, but it's not like they're swinging. They're not like you know, making the beat any different. They still swing a lot of them. And and, yeah. and it's not sort of like, wow, this is really different. That's why I never understood the struggle between what, maybe it's because I don't live in it. This idea that this is mainstream country and this is Graham Parsons. Like, why the fuck couldn't Graham Parsons play with Buck Owens? It, it, it could have happened. That absolutely could have happened. I, I don't know about their struggle then. Yeah. Because yeah. like uh, it was a little, quite a bit different. But I, I think that I mean nowadays the struggle between mainstream and all that is is like it's a weird. It's almost two different things. I, I don't even like pay attention to really mainstream country. I don't really know anyone who does, and I couldn't really name anything that's on the radio. I've I could kind of identify some of these guys, but dude, it is a operation, and these people walk in with nothing except for a voice, and they are from the minute they enter that place to the minute they get out oh, there. It's a machine. It is a machine, you know. And it's like Graham Parsons, uh, you know, who knows about Buck, Buck Owens? Because we're talking about California. California is pretty unique, but that same machine has been in place in Nashville for right. day one, and it's been perfected because like the 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 sort of importance of the songwriter in Nashville, right? Like that, like there was a the, everyone would gravitate, like you know, that's not like that in New York and not really in L.A. I don't think, but right. literally Nashville is like this is where songwriters come to try to deliver the goods to right. the voices. You had like Shel Silverstein and people like that back then, right? But like there's just like but the it seems like the model was always like we got a front man let's fill his mouth with something so they must <laughs> so it's true so they must just have, have perfected the machine they must have just like they have stacks of songs it's crazy how those sessions work i've never done it myself but i have lots of friends that do it and they i mean they literally have like 10 you know 10, ten right uh, there's a do you know neil casal no. plays guitar he played in the ryan adams and the cardinals but now yeah. now he plays with chris robinson brother anyway great player but he says he always says i got a co on that like someone will say like i got a co on that like for the little co-write you know and they'll have yeah. these sessions when in which they'll all day just write like whatever like let's write a song about a hammer and a dice yeah. you know and they'll write that <laughs> yeah, and then right. and then they'll like somehow and there's just the yeah. system there's like basically there must be a template that's about five or six songs 
a couple of slow country, right. right? And then there's about three or four different grooves of the fast country. Right. And, and they then, always mimic what's a hit, because that's what's a hit That's now. right. So, so it's they, like a slow so, evolution. So it know. all sounds the same-ish. Right. And guys like Graham were not thinking of that at the time. And, you know, and the greats of all this are not thinking about that. No, of them. course in, not. In any genre, though, I mean, you look at 80s hair metal and you look at, like, what became the processing of processing plant of sunset boulevard where it would just be like band after band after right. band after band that sounded right. like just like van halen or just like def leopard sure until you get like a gnr who's like irreverent yeah. about it you right know what i mean i guess the big switch was that you really you know that became your center right right to some degree right so it's not, yeah you know that's a good way of putting it the, the thing about that was that we had the success from this one song for the july on that record yeah and i thought we had already recorded our second record, and our second record was pushing the boundaries. It was more rock. It was well, more no, I hear that. So that's so weird that you know, because like, I'm looking at these releases and I'm listening to them in sequence because Electric Rodeo definitely had more elements of rock in it. Yes, and I was yeah. like, how did he go? Like, was this, I wanted. I thought it was an evolution. To me, it was like the first one had some elements of that, but it was very. So it was supposed to be Electric segregated. Radio fo- first. No, no, put the oh. O was first, but but it was like the the rock. And the country elements were a, a bit separated on that record. Yeah. And I thought with Electric Rodeo, I said, here, we're going to blend it all yeah. into one sound. Yeah. But but we were immediately rejected for that record. And that was, that began my lesson about oh, it. Oh, because, because you, you all of a sudden just birthed all these new country fans. Right. And then all of a sudden, yeah. And it was still, in my opinion, it came out as a country record. It was always a country record. It's yeah. still country, no matter Electric what, Rodeo. to some degree. Yeah. But it was just like, we wanted to push the boundary a little further on the sound and like see, because, you know, it was just why does it have to all be like Leonard Skinner knockoffs? Why can't you be like pulling from Zappa in a country record you yeah, know, we, or whatever? You can't answer that question? Yeah. yeah because mean, they're the guys who are used to the six songs going, what's he doing to my head? <laughs> no, I know. What's he doing to my head? We're trying to expand your head, man. We're trying to get you to wake up and have some fucking taste. You know, it's like, but no. But, do they comment? Do people, did people come up to you and go, no, what are you doing? Not that one. I'll tell you the one that the way they got me was the Black Ribbons. Where, that was the where, concept where, record? Yeah, it was the Steve. Stephen King, King record? Yeah, yeah. Like there was that was when I started. That was realizing. where they had it. That was where they're like, look, we we liked a couple songs on those shitty records. <laughs> yeah, but like, what the fuck is this? That's exactly what happened. And then like YouTube, <laughs> I remember YouTube comment that said, "You are officially banned from Texas." And if, you know, like, Texas, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Wow, you know, and it, I mean, I, now, that way we should say, like, I, I always, I always, always gonna cause trouble. There's, I love Texas. There's some good parts of Texas. Oh, I love Texas. Yeah, yeah. So that was it. But Black Ribbon was it yeah that was that was the that was the actual quote on youtube but yeah i mean that was the one where they at first had that reaction but now like in retrospect that record is the one that's probably given me the most back and it has been the one that is in my opinion lasted the longest with the fans like people really woke up to the record but it took them a minute because they weren't ready for it but it was like it's a know, story that was the exciting part about it man. right it's exciting to go do something and say this is going to be weird and it's one thing to like have a crazy idea but not be able to follow carry it out and i and i felt like me and dave cobb were able to carry that record out and it was like when we did that i was like okay now here's something i'm fucking proud of we really fucking did something weird here yeah you know and i knew that the reaction would be would be crazy but at the same time like i knew that over it's it's a long game i'm not in it i'm not in it for a short sure. game thing so well and also you know as a creative person as an artist if you don't take chances then you know you're just gonna be a shell of yourself you right. know you just end up you know wandering around getting on stage and 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 going through the motions yeah and that's i don't i want to do that i would rather quit before so I do that. but the concept record it's interesting because there you know obviously there's been concept records before and and you know and willie did that one 
uh, spirit or redheaded stranger. Oh, that really? one too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. which is sort of a story. Of and it's fantastic. One. It is, you know, but I don't know that that was the most successful record for him outside of the hit. You no, know, it, I don't think it, outside from uh, Blue Eyes Crying, Crying in the Rain. Yeah, but it's often regarded as the best country album of all time. Is it's, it? Yeah, it's often the number one on the list of the all time best country of records. the preacher. So yeah, I love that. It's I great. love that, man. And then you know, phases and stages. All a bunch of his records were concept records. So yeah, it's like. Uh, so uh, what what led to the partnership with Stephen King? I mean, how, wh- wh- well, I dreamed up this record and I had this DJ part in it. And at first, I was going to reach out to Art Bell, and I did reach out to Art Bell about it. And yeah. Then, and then I I second guessed the decision because I thought, man, people are going to think this is Art Bell. I loved Art Bell growing up. Sure. And I and I wanted somebody who was a little different uh you know people didn't know and and there's voice and and there was a um oh that's funny i have that book that apocalypse culture too but anyway it's a great book um, the first one's better i haven't heard i don't well, have i mean it's a, a lot of the same stuff but they added some stuff but they also took out a couple Ooh. the second one <laughs> gonna, have to, gonna have to go to that <laughs> it's hard uh, to find that first one. Oh man uh anyway uh, so where that happened was I mean, I've been a Stephen King fan since I was really young. Yeah, and uh, I I was reading. He he wrote about me in first in his EW column. He used to do in the back of EW about his favorite like country songs uh-huh. or something. And Fourth of July was on there. And oh, then, that's nice. And then he wrote my. It's name. a good feeling, isn't it? Yeah, when you yeah. love and you have reverence for somebody, and all of a sudden you realize, like, hey, they know yeah, my shit. Cra- crazy. That's it's crazy when that happens, especially when they turn out to be such amazing people. Uh, Manson was like that when we became friends, but uh, but so I talked to him. He was a little loopy. I heard him. He had his little Fiji <laughs> bottle. Yeah, love yeah. it. Um, but uh, so Stephen King. Then he wrote my name in a book. Yeah. It was in a Lysy story, a li- just really quickly, and he. It was my name was right next to fucking big and rich too. I was uh-huh. like, Jesus Christ! But anyway, um, so he wrote, so I was like, okay, the dude, I'm on his radar. So I like wrote. I was doing. I was gonna do an interview for some record I was doing for with EW, and I said I'll do it. But will you pass this letter to Stephen King because I tried to reach him and I couldn't find any way to reach him. Yeah. So I wrote an email, and that afternoon he got back to me, and oh, yeah. he was like, he's like, I'm too busy to do this, but if you hound me maybe it'll get done. And yeah. like, so I just sent him the ideas that went along. And then like one day we had a lot of emails back and forth. I never met him. I've never talked to him on the phone. And one day it just showed up in my house done. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. He did it. You know what I he mean? He did it. That's great. So we put it in there and, and, and we've kind of remained friends, like, but only via email and uh-huh. stuff. But now I'm working on a new project that he's involved in, so maybe I'll get to meet oh, that's him. That's wild. And the, and the album is, I, I imagine some of the fans are sort of like, it, it is a sort of a political record. I mean, it is, in a way. I was not aiming to make a political record. It, to me, it was more of like a, you know, I, would, I had become really into like, a lot of these like writers and conspiracy writers and these kind of theories. I had heard that David Icke dude on like, uh, uh, oh boy, on Coast to Coast AM with yeah. his reptiles thing. Sure. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this guy's out there. Yeah. And I was like, but just conceptually, just this world of insanity. Yeah. I started looking up all, you know, Manly P. Hall and Mason people and sure. all these yeah. other fucking people and yeah. reading about Go all ahead that. and say it, the Jews. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Guy, know what you're saying. No, no. But like, I just kind of was like reading all this shit. And and I was, the conspiracy world was just fascinating to me. Sure. No, I was there too. I've been there. Yeah, I know what you're saying. And so like, uh, 
I, uh, you know, I when I was doing the record. Unfortunately, just, now it's a dominant cultural dialogue for is, people who <laughs> want to erase the truth. But it went early on. It was sort of interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was very interesting. It's it also seems like a, uh, you know, it was a it, during that time. I'm just. I mean, it was. God, that was it's 2008, so it was like it was like the end of the George Bush sure. thing was when we were doing the record, and, yeah. when, and when Obama happened, like for me, I'm not, I've never taken a political stance, and I never will because I think there's so many. It's, many a, little, it's a little, it's a little rough, man. Like it was weird. I had this weird thing where I was listening to NPR and they were interviewing Loretta Lynn, you know, who's just sort of like Trump's going to save us, and I'm like. Oh, why you gotta tell me? Why you, don't you don't have to talk about it? I want right. to. I, I want to love you. You know, <laughs> right, right. I mean, that, you know, that's it's so. But when that Bush thing was happening, yeah. like everybody, it was insanity. And then that, like the the housing crisis happened. Yeah. And then like Obama's like won, and it's like all gonna happen. And and it was all so weird. Everything was so fucking weird and negative. And there was. There was all this like from, kind from of where you were living. Yeah, well, no, from here in LA. I mean, what am I supposed to say? Like, I was like overcome with hope. Like, no, I was like, there was nothing. Everything, everything right. seemed insane. Like when the housing crisis hit, especially. No, like, absolutely like, right. Yeah, everybody was yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. "Where's well, Bush? Yeah, yeah on where'd the, he go? You know." On the way out, those guys just sort of like, and we're taking all the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's and, exactly what happened. <laughs> and so, like, it, it was like I didn't know where we were, and so it was like I just kind of made up this this concept of this fictional band that was like you know they were going to shut off the airwaves and there wasn't going to be a voice anymore and, and it was like this fictional band was kind of the fucky band for this guy to play on his yeah. last night end you know the DJ yeah. that he created yeah it's, I think it's ballsy man because it, it, like the way you talk about it it was a genuine reaction to the confusion and fear and anger or whatever you were yeah. feeling there's so much fear mongering going on and, and you're trying to reach crisis. right and, and also trying to reach some sort of you know trying to process it so you processed it with this weird concept record right which dave cobb did, produced as yep. well yeah it's interesting your history with him because like your family man's a country record yeah. you deal with themes yeah i mean you have a family you've been through a heartbreak you've been through kind of a divorce you've yeah. got a couple of kids i mean like you know that's the other thing about looking at country where it's sort of like i know the these stories yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's right do these guys live these stories are they just like you know what are we gonna write about today you know like oh, i'm sad but there was a th that that it seemed like some of the stuff on that record was you trying to reckon with the fact that you're this guy that has this responsibility and that's and you, right. you try to do the best you can but you're not necessarily making the grade that's right and then the other life is kind of when it all goes you know <laughs> it goes bad goes bad and then you know figuring out i mean it's yeah it's very much traceable journey of reality and, but are you, do you get along with her, the ex? Yeah, I have to. You got kids. two kids. Yeah, we do. We do great. I mean, like, what's your name again? Dre, Dre, Dre. DiMatteo. Yeah, yeah, the actress. She, she's great. Yeah, she. But like, you know, we. They oh, go parent? to kid. They go. Yeah, they yeah. go to school with parents who fucking hate each other that are either married or not married anymore. Oh, but, it's the worst. So it's like we're able to definitely get through it. And, and her dude is one of my favorite. Uh, Dre's dude, Michael Devin, who's yeah. in. Um, White Snake. Oh yeah, I've used him on some records that I produced and stuff. We we I love that guy. And yeah. then like you know Misty, my wife, we all get along really well. Oh, that's the, great. So it's like it's what a fucking it's a very lucky situation for the kids. You know they get to see like people that are actually happy. And, and then you can do it like, you know, it's a really a matter of acceptance and, and getting over whoever feels fucked off, you know, uh, moving through that. That's right. That's it, right. And, and, you know, moving. That's a good way of putting it. It's not it's not even moving beyond it or around. It's like right. through it. You yeah. I mean, it. you know, and, and like because like, no matter what, as you get older.
older you realize that 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 you know er- everything that you thought was uh, you know just a you know it was never going to be different right Right. It doesn't fucking matter anymore in some ways. You're like, oh, God. Yeah, oh, dude, totally. <laughs> I I mean, because when you're, you know, you're 20-something years old, yeah. it's like everything has such profound meaning and impact and yeah. everything is so big and how do I feel today? You yeah. know, and it's like, and I'm fucking 40 now and I'm like, God damn, leave me alone. You know, I'm just like, <laughs> want everyone to leave me alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just trying to- I, I, the I, price is right, man. Yeah, right. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I finally reached the freedom to not give a fuck about a lot of stuff and i just want to sit here and do this yeah that's right man that's right so so but that record was very a very odd record what how do you say how come i can't pronounce Countach? it yeah i would never have it's said like a lamborghini that right. Countach. okay fine because Giorgio's is italian Giorgio like, marauder yep and he was like I, I learned this stuff you know yesterday oh he, no dude Giorgio marauder you you know who he is no i know his songs yeah 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 but I'm, what i'm trying to figure out is like what what is shooter jennings sitting there thinking like you know it's time for me to do an homage okay <laughs> the george record all right i'll tell you how this kind of started years before a guy had asked me to write some songs for george jones final record yeah but so i wrote these two songs sent them to the dude he's like it's great let's see what the possum says well that dude turned out to be completely full of shit he wasn't doing a record on george jones and i had just written two songs and sent them to this dude so i was like was those the ones that ended up on the tribute yeah so i said i'm gonna put those two songs out and and at the time I had been I'd gone down this like rabbit hole of Giorgio Moroder and it kind of started with that Daft Punk record yeah. Random Access Memories but but I'd already I just didn't realize how much of the music that I grew up in that this one guy was responsible for right. I just kind of assumed it was the sound of the 80s and yeah. it was a thing so when I kind of went down that rabbit hole and started listening to all these solo records of his I just became kind of obsessed with it and this company was really into the idea I was going to put out those two George Jones songs and maybe do a couple others they were really into the idea of me doing it I was very defiant about just just doing a George Jones thing. So my idea was I'm going to do George and Giorgio. And it was going to be these kind of two pieces, yeah. and it, which is what I ended up doing. And I was like, but I, I like for the George one, I used a lot of the equipment that Giorgio used on his records. And for the Giorgio one, I used like live fiddle and instruments that George used and kind of mixed the whole thing up. And but like, tell people like who like uh, Giorgio is. Like okay. he, he what well, were the songs? He, he, everyone knows that he d- defined you know disco by right. producing all that stuff but he he was really like the first person to sync moog synthesizers with with a click and get them all talking and of course he did like the never ending story and he did like right. the top gun theme song and like oh, so the Island of the Danger yeah, sure, lots of sure. lots of movies yeah, yeah. and tv shows and i was really infatuated with the lyrics and the musical especially the musical arrangements and then like Hunter S Thompson always said that when he when he when he was younger he would retype Ernest Hemingway novels. Yeah. And doing this Giorgio record was kind of like that because I became like intimately aware of these really weird arrangements. Like, yeah. Like uh, The Never Ending Story. Like that song, just a kid's theme song from a movie that I saw when I was a kid or whatever, but it's really weird and intricate and the car- chord changes and the, the rhythms. And, yeah. But I found some early shit of his where yeah. it was not electronic at all. It was kind of country and weird. Like that song isn't very far from what his arrangement was, which is was really strange I, I i so it was like he had a really peculiar yeah kind of like journey musically that it just the more i looked the more and more i loved it and the more and more i wanted to do you know carry this record out and to me like it was one of those kind of records where uh, like 
a lot of people like what the fuck but a lot of people like ended up really loving it like it it in the press it was received really well so it's like you know it, it kind of opened a lot of doors like that record and Black Ribbons have opened more doors for me to cool collaborations and cool friendships, as well as like people coming out of the woodwork that would never have taken note of my music or be like, say, like a, a good example is like Kurt Sutter from Sons of Anarchy became like a really cool collaborator for me because he liked Black Ribbons and he started putting songs from it in the show. Oh, and then that's like great. that's how I met Manson because he heard those and liked them. Wow. You know, and so all these kind of weird little avenues would happen and, and Kuntosh has kind of brought a lot of a lot of people that way and so it seems like the more outlandish and kind of daring things that I do the more they kind of create these trees of like new it, stuff for it, me to get into and also like you know different types of creative people that's right that's right then this new record which you just call Shooter. Yeah. It's it's like, it's a great country record. But I mean, it's like the most country record you've done. That's right. There's It's the only one where I feel like I didn't have some axe to grind with like, I, I'm, you know, musically like trying to prove I still had this other elements. I, yeah. I really went in and was like, and like, let me ask you about Dave Cobb because, like, you know, he did Wheeler Walker, he does uh, Sturgill, who I've talked to. Who's that other guy? Who's that guy that Sturgill played with on Chris SNL? Stapleton? Chris Stapleton. Mm-hmm. He's great, right? Great, great. But guy so, like, too. Cobb, it seems to me that at one time, you know, the collaboration, you know, he could sort of do what you wanted him to do. Like, you know, he understood what you wanted, then he do it. But now it seems that Cobb has a, a very defined sound for himself. He does. He does. But I, I don't feel like that with. Like he and I still have the exact same relationship that we did before. You just happened to want to do a, a our conversation. Our phone conversation was let's cut a Hank Jr. record. Like we were like let's go full country the whole way and not even you know. And even though there's stuff on there that that kind of gets out there from country, but it's like w- our intention was to to cut it just a through and through enjoyable, not heavy. But, yeah, I but, I loved it. You know, country record. Thank you, man. Well, we yeah we set out to do that, and we had just done the Brandy record, which was pretty eclectic and had a lot of different angles and we were both working really heavily on on the arrangements and and everything so which we, one's that it's called by the way i forgive you she just put out this year and um, you were working you produced it me and dave co-produced oh it. that's great so that was kind of that, that's what kind of got us working together again uh, and that was her bringing us in together she she wrote she wrote me and she goes i want you to work on my new record and then like two days later she goes like do you know dave cobb and i was like yeah i know dave we've done a couple of records man you know how old is he your age he's uh about three years older than me so now like what is the nature of your your fan base i mean are they do you get people that liked your dad do you get real country people i Uh, mean totally i mean it's across the board and it has changed over the years because you know there was a there was a big there was a big gap between my dad and myself like as far as the fans went like there'd either be fans that were like young people who like my music or there'd be like older people who like my dad's music but now that all has kind of like mixed and it's kind of a mixed bag you know Uh but like before I've been on the road with my band for about two years. Uh, before that, I did three years with my dad's old band. Like there was a period of time in which I'd done the Family Man, the Other Life. That was a New York City band that I'd put together, and it was getting to where like it was too expensive to tour. I wasn't making enough in the in the uh, guarantees to afford like a bus, and it was start. It was kind of a struggle at this one point. It's probably uh, two thousand and mid 2012 uh-huh. or something and uh the other life hadn't even come out yet and i was already financially in this position it was a little shaky and my old manager the guy who came in john hensley i was talking about he had this idea i i played this one show with the waymore's outlaws which is really my dad's old man yeah and 
I played this one show and he's like, dude, you should take this on the road. Uh, Cause they have a vehicle they travel in uh, me, you and a merch person, which is his girlfriend at the time. We'll just drive everywhere they go. You don't have to sever contracts. You get paid your bit. Your only expense is two is two hotel rooms and in a car. And we did that for like three years and it saved me and it like got everything back up. It got my guarantees back up because the shows were doing well with them. And I was able to get back in a place to get on my feet, you know. And but at the same time, to answer your question, you were you were kind of like servicing. I mean, even they were playing most of the You were broke or what? I was pretty, I wasn't broke. I mean, I'm, I didn't have to like move out of my house, right. but, but I mean, it was around the time that I went through like the split ups oh, and right. like getting sure. on my feet. And at the same time, it was just that the, my, the, I had gone through a couple bad decisions with managers and with booking agents and it, they'd gotten to where I was making this such a low amount per show right? that it, that it was just, it was like a vacuum, you know, right. like, like the, the show would be low, the turnout would be low, then it would get lower. And then I'm like, I'm trying to maintain a full band and a bus and all this so it kind of gave me a, a point to start in which there was a story behind the package. It was different because it was my dad's old band and we would do, they would come out and do a whole set of like Waylon shit. And then I would come out and they would do my stuff and I would do some Waylon songs, but it would like, it would allow me to kind of duck out of big cities, do casinos, do like gigs, like in small towns and yeah. sell out and do things. And, and it built my guarantee up. It built their guarantee up. It made it where we made money and we were able to kind of save and, and get the, keep the label going. And I was able to, to do it again where we could go on the road and get a bus and build that up. And, and now we're like, now the engine is rolling great and we're out on the road nonstop and we, you know, we're got the new record and everything. So it kind of was like, it, my point there was that there was a point in time I think when I was younger, when I was like resentful of the Wayland factor, even though I was happy about it, I was happy that people would come, but it was very hard to, to, to differentiate. Like it, just some guy who off the street who makes a career and has songs. He knows that the people who are showing up at his show are there because they like his music. Sure. There's no other reason. Right. But for me, there was like the Wayland reason. So yeah. it's hard to know. It's hard to trust your fans. Like, but, why are you here? Are you but here? after a certain point, did you just accept it and embrace it? I think that the doing the tour at the Waymores, I mean, to some degree, yes. And, and I also ran off a bunch of them with, with black ribbons. So that was kind of a good <laughs> thing in a way. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the wrong folks, in, I shouldn't say the wrong, but you yeah. know what I'm saying? The people sure. who were just looking for me to be Wayland Jr. Uh, definitely were like, okay, I'm going to step out of here for a while yeah um they're coming back with this record <laughs> they're coming back <laughs> they came back even afterwards you know but uh but then doing the waymore's tour it was really in a way like saying like look i'm you know even though i'm they're playing my shit i'm like i was i was giving back to that crew too and i think that that people felt it kind of like healed some things with that and it became an integration of the people instead of they're just being the wayland people and the shooter be like they were now like the same group and it's like so now they're all willing to kind of follow me and they know I'm not just like throwing my middle finger up finger up in my dad's like legacy in their opinion oh good right that kind of stuff so it kind of kind of solved a lot of things in in a weird way and it was great to be on the road with my dad's old drummer Richie who was fucking shit and all those guys it was so cool to have a band with them for three years oh yeah I bet and kind of be in that was a very weird thing well it's funny because like because your dad was so supportive and and he was who he was but but he was also you guys had a great relationship but the only way you really could rebel because he was a decent guy was to you know to do it musically 
Yeah, right. Like, like I, you know, you you know, in order for you to sort of define yourself, you had to you know not not say fuck you, dad, but say like, well, I'm I can I'm going to do this other thing. Yeah, which is what L.A. did. I was right. completely oblivious to. It. By the time that I, that first record came out, I had not even been thinking about really. But I mean, I he died, and I'm thinking about him that way. But I mean, it's like the. There, what didn't feel like I was being defiant. I felt yeah. like I was just, oh, I think I might have found my way. I've been here in L.A. long enough, and I, I think I might have figured sure. out my sound, you know. And it like, so that's what it kind of felt like. But then once it came out, I think we kind of were touching on this before. But once that came out, that's when people started being like, "You're not as good as your dad. Yeah. He'd be rolling over his grave." Yeah. And you're just like, "Okay, yeah, fuck you, people. Yeah, fuck all of you. Uh, Find me in L.A. I, da- I dare you." <laughs> yeah, but this one is like it's a it's a nice testament to like I think who you are in terms of accepting. You know that this it's clearly something you love. I mean, the country music. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and absolutely. Uh, you know, and and it's also just. Uh, you know, it's it, it sort of uh, you know, it feels like you've worked through a lot of shit. Yeah, that's. that's I, I don't, true. I, I don't, I don't feel. I, I feel that there will be another weird record in your future. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I got, I got to keep making left turns yeah, until yeah. I go in a circle. You know. Now, what do you think about your father's influence in general? Like, because I know there was like very, very specifically, people said Sturgill sounded like your old man. Yeah, Did I, you I used it? to say. Yeah, I used to say that before because I, I introduced him and Dave Cobb, and I like. You introduced Sturgill Simpson yeah. to Dave? Yeah, <clears throat> Sturgill, a guy named Blake Judd introduced me to Sturgill's yeah. music. He had a band called Sunday Valley before. Yeah. And uh, and it was like a kind of hard rock band in a lot right. of ways, but it, it kind of like Stargun was. I, I understand like he he doesn't allow that shit online, even though I think that Sunday Valley had some great well, stuff. He's like, and now he's doing some shit like you in the, in the sense that like he'll rip out that guitar and you're like, yeah. that's not country. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> totally. He wins the country Grammy for his least country record. Uh-huh. It's like, but uh which is why I love why he's mixing it up. But but like when I first heard him, there were moments where I was like, man, he really sounds like early. Like when my dad, it's almost like the, in the 70s, this is a really weird way of putting it, but this is the best way I can describe it was in the 70s when my dad would do harmonies on his own vocals. He'd yeah. sing a little higher. Yeah. That, he, Sturgill sounded just like that to uh-huh. me. And it was uh-huh. like there was a thing where I was like, wow, you know, that's yeah. really cool. And a really cool voice, you know, and... And it was awesome to watch him kind of go through these different phases as well. And he does the same kind of thing. Like in, and like when he went left and he did the experimental record, I was like, I'm going real country. Then I'm going. He did that. I'm fucking <laughs> going. Here. I'm going all the way over here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's see what happens next. Yeah, yeah. But you guys get your along. move. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I love. I love Sturgeon. We hang out a lot. We uh, last nice time guy. he came through town for like a day. We went to El Compadre and. And hung out, and uh, he's great, dude. Good man. Yeah. Well, it's a great record. It was uh, certainly. I'm glad we finally got to meet and talk. It was great to uh, to hang out, man. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. Uh, I definitely I love the podcast. So it was uh, it's cool to 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 be in here and finally uh, be on it. And then I got to thank Jeff Tate, especially because he was originally Tate. like trying to hook us. I know. Up, I'm sorry know? I dropped the ball on that because I went it's through okay, my emails man. and I'm like, oh, that was like two years ago, dude. Fucking... It's okay. It's all right. Oh, man. we did it, man. Well, yeah, we're here. I had something to promote this time. Oh yeah, <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man. Of course man thank you all right that was shooter jennings rob riggle before him fun times fun talks i hope uh you know nothing happened in between me recording this and you hearing it that needed to be addressed (laughs) or that uh uh left it uh impossible for anyone to hear this hmm I'm okay. You okay? I'm all right. I'm going to have some pistachios. Boomer lives!